And, of course, urantiaradio.net is always a good place to start because we list our podcast there, articles, and all the community events that are going on with the various Urantia associations. So just a little dip in the book. Uh, it's a sort of a preview. Uh, this is from Chapter 15, and I address specifically UFOs and ancient aliens in the Urantia book. I'll read through it briefly. I won't read the whole thing, but uh, it starts with, Recently, NASA announced it was stepping up its game on search for other life in the universe. SETI has also recently received a, a windfall of funding and is also partnering with various agencies who share a keen, if not heightened, interest in finding life out there in the cosmos. With improved telescopes, we have discovered thousands of exoplanets circling suns all around us. Most agree that the discovery of life elsewhere is a game-changer for humanity. Finding intelligent life would would be even more profound. The last step might be communication with life forms, but for now, we're just trying to find out the right place to look with so many options before us. The race of discovery is on. The Urantia book provides clues to where we might look for evolving life. Clearly, the Urantia book gives an entire narrative of the various kinds of life forms there are in existence, and while it doesn't deprive us of the actual experience of discovery, it does provide clues to where we might look for life. As the book was written in 1934, when the idea of extraterrestrial life seemed more science fiction than science reality. Consider this clue from paper 41. There are upwards of 2,000 brilliant suns pouring forth light and energy in your region of space, and your own sun is an average blazing orb. Of the 30 suns nearest yours, only three are brighter. And then I list uh, all of the suns that are closest to us. Proxima Centauri is the closest one at 4.2 light years away. Rigel, the subsidiaries Alpha Centauri A, which is 4.3. Alpha Centauri B is 4.3 billion. They're both about equal distance from us. Uh, Bernard Star, 6.6 years uh, light years away. Wolf 359 is 7.7 .7 light years away. Then we have Leuton, which is 8.4 8 light years away. And then another star, so it's a dual star system, Leuton B, 726B, which is 8.4 light years away. And on and on, and then we finally get to about 11.2 light years away. And So those are essentially the 30 nearest suns to us. So that I take as a specific clue. We live very close, about 500 light seconds from our own star. Uh, and this is probably a favorable condition for the origination and maintenance of other, other life, that how far we are from our sun would be a great determinant. That puts us in that Goldilocks zones that you used to hear about. Stars are very far apart based on the information, about six, eight light years for the closest dozen compared to their size. Many stars occur in multiple systems, shown by the suffixes A, B, and C, from brightest to dimmest. In fact, about 55% of the stars on the list that I just read to you are in multiple systems. The nearest star is a triple. And you know what, folks? In the Arantia book, they mention specifically, I, I believe it might be Evona, that has a triple star system. Uh, now, at the time that the Arantia book was written, we didn't know about these specific stars. Most of the nearby stars are dimmer than our sun by a factor of 100 to 10,000. And the bottom line is this. We are in a stellar neighborhood likely to produce life more abundantly than previously believed. The majority of solar systems had origins different from our own. 
there's a clue. We're looking for subsatellites of stars. They're saying most solar systems that uh, give origin to inhabited life aren't getting direct. They're, they're actually subsatellites of planets. For example, we have Jupiter, which has, I think, 35 moons. Most planets that have life are on those kinds of worlds that circle large gaseous bodies that are themselves part of a solar system. So they might get some light and some heat from the gaseous planet that they're circling and then get enough light and heat from a nearby star in that parent solar system. That's where we need to be looking. And that's what this whole chapter is about. But let me read this. With these additional clues and by taking into account these new parameters, star students could utilize this new data, allowing us to recalibrate our instruments, thus increasing our chances of discovering new life forms and possible new civilizations. And then I conclude, in short and consistent with its message, the universe is quite active. The new perspective here is those who study the Urantia book will be far less unnerved when that day comes and we finally do come into contact with beings from another world, whether they be a neighboring race from a distant planet or Christ himself, accompanied by 12 Melchizedek receivers and a legion of angels announcing his return. And that's the conclusionary remarks from paper chapter 15 of my forthcoming book. So I just thought it was interesting to tie those loose ends together because maybe there is something to the ufology. Maybe we're getting closer to realizing that we do have planetary or system neighbors. The Arantia book is a, a book that prepares us for that, and that's my point. It's one of many of the benefits of having the Arantia book and becoming more familiar with the cosmos. So we'll leave it there, and I hope that you can uh, appreciate some of the points that I made today, and we'll be back again on another edition of the Arantia Radio Podcast. Until next time, God bless.